everybody. My name is Amit Sharma. I'm the founder and CEO of Narvar. Uh, today, we have uh, the opportunity to speaking with some of our friends at McKinsey in terms of sharing where are we in terms of the, the latest COVID crisis and financial impact and making this conversation very relevant for our retail community, how they can learn as well as plan uh, in the coming months and coming quarters. Brian, do you want to kick it off and, and introduce um, you and the, your team? Happy to. And thanks, Amit, for having us. Uh, it's such an important time for all of us in the retail community to come together and, and really get through this as leaders together. So appreciate the opportunity. Uh, just a quick introduction. My name is Brian Gregg. I'm a senior partner in McKinsey's San Francisco office, uh, where I lead our West Coast retail practice and our North American marketing sales practice. So very excited to share some thoughts today. Kelsey Robinson, I'm a partner with our San Francisco office. I spend my time focused on uh, growth uh, with B2C companies, in particular, um, thinking through growth uh, opportunities with retailers. Excited for today's discussion. Hi, everyone. I'm Hannah Yankelvich. I'm an associate partner out of the Minneapolis office and focus all my time on what I love to call the go-to-market. So everything from sketch to rack, uh, everything that you need when it comes to uh, designing a product, getting that product to market as quickly as possible, um, and then dealing with the inventory on the back end. Great. I mean, I mean, this is you know, the best in that you get in retail, all the way from you know highest level of planning and strategy, all the way to execution across the value chain. So let's jump right in. Um, Brian, just bring us up to speed because you know scenarios are changing essentially week by week basis. Uh, and retailers are trying to come up to speed with the latest on a global level because markets in Asia are very different than, um, and, and than um, in Europe or here. But in a weird way, everything is connected because supply chain is also so much intertwined. So you know, as you speak to um, your customers and client base and also do your research, where are we in terms of the latest crisis? Well, that's the million dollar question, isn't it, Ahmed? I, I mean, I, I think it's probably important to start by just saying that, you know, the, the COVID situation is first and foremost a human crisis uh, and one globally that we're all wrestling with. So I think just first starting with uh, acknowledging the situation we're in is not, is not one we've ever really dealt with in, in many, many years. I think with that as the context, we do have a global response team that is publishing uh, every Monday results on trying to get their hands around the question you just asked. Our latest uh, team and, and uh, data suggest that published just 48 hours ago, which as we all know, can be a lifetime in this, in this kind of a journey. Um, but is really looking at sort of two bookends of the scenarios uh, that, were, that we're, we're looking at playing out here. I think it's important to note that the single biggest linchpin right now and the biggest unknown assumption in all the models is really a question about how resurgent or not uh, will this virus be? Obviously, it's, it's very early days on uh, in the side of China and parts of Asia where they're at least on the other side of the curve. And there's a real question mark on, you know, will, will herd immunity stand? Is there a chance that this, this virus will be one and done? And so I think maybe the, the thing to really focus on, which I know you wanna, you'd like to get to today, is what can we be doing today to prepare ourselves for the now? and also get ready for this next normal because it will look, so one thing we can all agree on is it will look different than what it looked like before the virus hit. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's a great point. I mean, um, we know 
some of these things are going to stay with us, um, especially on the consumer sentiment and consumer behavior, right? So some may come back as econo economics come back, economic come back, you know, we will go back to somewhat of a normal um, a consumer behavior. But what are you seeing in terms of sentiment that is going to stick around with us uh, you know, for in the future and some things that retailers need to be aware of in, in as they plan for rest of the year or next year that they should be mindful of. Yeah, and for the past three weeks, we've been doing a weekly pulse really around the globe um, because we think one of the key leader in leading indicators of demand is going to be exactly what you asked on it, which is, you know, what is the consumer sentiment and how are they thinking about the outlook on how they're going to change their behaviors and or their spend, right? And I, you know, I think right now we're thinking about it in three, three ways. So one, you know, what's the picture of sentiment overall and how is that evolving? Two, how do we look to China as an instructive potential you know, future case? We can talk about why that's more or less perfect. And then three, the question you just asked around, if some behaviors are changing, do we have any indication of what might stick? Which is a big question on everyone's mind. I think when it comes to overall optimism, you know, there, there is still some optimistic uh, feeling out there, especially in the U.S. actually. You know, the last week, just this past week's poll is 41% of Americans are saying they're optimistic, right? They think the economy is going to come back within, you know, two to three months and, and be in a good place. Um, we see that's highest for higher income populations, also higher for kind of a younger population too. But at the same time, 40% of households are saying there's a, a real impact to their household income. And so while there's some optimism on the economy, there is clear evidence that, and we see it now in, in the discretionary spend, there's been an impact to household income. And you know, when we look at, we ask consumers in the US, how are you gonna spend money over the next two weeks? Categorically, category after category after category is down, right? The intent is to significantly decrease spend, except in categories like grocery, household supplies, entertainment, right? Um, you know, one interesting view we had is, you know, if you believe Amazon is an indicator of demand, there are a little bit of green shoots there, right? So we see some interesting signals on outdoor and sports and beauty categories where there's a self-care at home category that could still be seen and is seen actually a pretty positive comp compared to other categories right now on Amazon's marketplace. So that's an interesting indicator. Um, I think if we shift to China, you know, uh, in the U.S. last week, 60% of Americans said they were being careful with how they spend their money. That number is now only 39% in China. And that was a 15 percentage point difference over the course of two weeks. So you saw a real change as they're starting to come out of recovery in terms of how they think about, you know, spending money, cutting back. You know, they're more optimistic and that optimism is translating into, you know, potentially a demand indicator, right? Um, you are seeing some categories like personal care, skincare, 30% of customers are saying they're spending more on those things in China. And so I think we're starting to see some really good signs. I think the question to Brian's point is how much of an indicator is it, right? It's the best one we have, but we have to stay really close to understanding, you know, how does, in, for example, in the U.S. or geographies, how does COVID-19 evolve and are we on the same path as China or not, right? And so how, will, will we follow these exact same indicators? Um, you know, in, especially if you compare and contrast um, Asia, China specifically with the U.S., uh, yeah. the retail model um, is quite different. You have two dominant players in China, how retail and e-commerce is done. In yeah. the U.S., is, is, you know, you have Amazon and potentially Walmart, and then you have a lot of these players, especially with a lot more um, omni-channel presence. Uh, yeah. So 
once to, one is to, as you are indicating, like the understanding um, the consumer sentiment. And the second is that fallout of that uh, and how do you capture that or, or, or respond to that. But then the uh, retail uh, infrastructure in two countries or regions are quite different. And so it may have some different implications in the US as different players tend to respond to these uh, consumer sentiments. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think, you know, that point actually links pretty interestingly to what do we expect to stick or not. The reason being, even in China, where you have what you just described, right, with some concentrations of online players, there was a pretty high percentage of, I think it was about 25 percentage of shoppers who said they had switched brand stores, rather, their primary store or their prime would be that online or physical, and about a third who had actually switched brands. And, and because of, you know, the realities of, you know, in terms of convenience, availability, accessibility. Um, and so even, you know, China, I think you saw a change in behavior, right, from a brand in a kind of store location perspective or store perspective. Um, and when you ask those folks in China, we went back and asked them, our Chinese colleagues went back and asked them how many of them intended to stick with the change, which is always a hard question to answer, but again, probably our best indicator, right? About half of the ones who had switched store said they might stick with the change. And so I, I think, you know, maybe not comforting, but I think what, what this means is there's actually quite a bit of fluid movement right now and change in terms of how customers are thinking about where they go to buy what and what brands they really trust and rely on, right? So that can be both a challenge, but also a huge opportunity right now, right? If a retailer is able to get the right products and the right service and the right offering out there, you could actually get, you know, some great new customer acquisition from this situation as well. Yeah, and that's, that's a great, uh, you know, way to think about, okay, now that I'm responding to it, but how do I plan ahead on this consumer sentiment uh, across the value chain, knowing who are our core customers or have those customer profiles from all the way to how do you market to them and making sure you, know, you have your supply chain operational infrastructure um, you know, in place to be agile and adapt to these new scenarios that are coming out. And I know we have Hannah on the line as well, uh, who has interest and passion and expertise on these topics. So Hannah, uh, love to hear from you from the value chain perspective and how should retailers think about it uh, as these new customer sentiments are gonna stick with us so they, they are best prepared, at least in terms of planning and hopefully in terms of also from the execution side of it uh, to respond to these new consumer behaviors. Yeah, no, it's a, great, it's a great question and one that we've been having many conversations with. I'd say that change on a daily basis, right, as, as we continue to see reactions within the market. I think, you know, the biggest themes that, you know, we've constantly been coaching, I'd say, clients on um, for, for the past 18 months or so is all about agile and diversification in your portfolio vendors, right? It's all about uh, reducing risk in, in where you're sourcing your actual product from. But a lot of that stems from, right, what retailers are going to be doing right now with their inventory, right? And how are they uh, packaging and, and thinking through their, their inventory that they have on hand? Um, and then how are they planning on um, re replenishing as they go into the fall and ultimately, you know, driving newness as we get in even to the early in, in, in 2021? Um, one of the things that we've talked quite a bit about is, you know, what do you do with all the inventory that you have right now? Um, in a quick poll of retailers that, that we've done, we estimate anywhere between 60 to 75% of spring 20 inventory will, will be on hand or, or what we're calling leftover 
um, due to these store closures, these rapid store closures that, you know, you know, I'd say every day sort of extend and extend uh, in terms of when, when those reopenings will actually happen. Uh, and the name of the game right now is really getting smart in terms of segmenting and really driving strong attribution to your current product uh, inventory on hand, right? What, what do you actually expect to sell? Um, what can you hold and actually carry forward into the fall? Uh, and then ultimately, right, what are, what are the ways that you can either liquidate and or push through your existing inventory, whether that be, you know, mid-season sales or flash sales, which we're seeing very prominent right now um, through the online channels, um, but also getting smart, right, about, you know, do you hold back a portion of your inventory and do uh, flash sales later in the year, right? Uh, do you do exclusive product drops, say, for example, to um, bolster your Black Friday um, product offerings, right? Or do you offer them as wholesale exclusives, right, to some of your wholesale partners? All of these decisions that you're making now on your spring leftover inventory, right, then has implications that roll over into your, you know, your back half of the year, your fall and your holiday uh, inventory that you're thinking about, right? Ultimately, a lot of that has been, has been locked in and, and, you know, what retailers are scrambling to do, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners are, are thinking about is, right, what is the rate at which they should be canceling these POs or these purchase orders that they have um, uh, in flight? Uh, and what we're seeing across the board is that, you know, roughly 40 to 60% of POs for the fall um, are being canceled. Um, and and a rapid evaluation, again, from a, a very strategic segmentation of your product or your assortment mix, both intra-category as well as inter-category, um, to understand, right, what is the right recurring items that you should be replenishing and or not replenishing because you have leftover inventory from the spring, but also how are you balancing on buying into, right, that newness or that innovation that you, that the consumers are still going to want, right, in, in fall and holiday, uh, likely at a, a lower volume, but they're still going to be seeking that, right? And then ultimately, right, how does that then carry into, right, how you're designing or, or thinking about your spring 21 inventory. A lot of retailers right now are either concepting or, you know, rebuting protos, uh, protos for, or samples for spring 21. Um, and a lot of questions that we're asking right now is, or that we're getting right now is, you know, how do we think about that, right? Do we put them on hold? Uh, do we completely pause? Um, and, and again, going back to the point of, it's all about segmenting, uh, segmenting your, uh, assortment mix. I think the one key opportunity for a lot of retailers right now is reevaluating that long tail. Right? That's it's been a constant conversation that I've had with retailers for quite some time on helping to reduce the complexity uh, within their within their value chain within their supply chain um, that oftentimes creates these really long lead times. Um, and it's a great opportunity to really dig deep into that long tail at a style and even down to a style CC or a SKU level, right? And making some historically, what were historically tough decisions on, um, you know, cutting that long tail uh, to reprioritize. This is a great opportunity um, for folks to do that. Um, you know, there's a lot of other levers that, that we're seeing retailers uh, take action on or start to ask themselves those hard strategic questions, right? Uh, where it comes to the design process. I think one of the things we've been encouraging, you know, I'd say for quite some time is to work in this capacity, uh, you know, Zoom, um, I'd say being on Zoom all day is not quite the ideal, but I'd say in the new normal, right, how do you create a more agile way of working with your strategic vendors? Um, 
moving to virtual reviews, like quick turns on on uh, prototyping, as well as as uh, 3D sampling, where I imagine we're going to see a huge shift into um, adoption of technologies on virtual sampling, whether that be flat and or 3D sampling, uh, in order to be able to um, make quick decisions because, you know, the travel restrictions are going to be tough to be in person and be able to review product. And we don't have the liberty to wait for product to ship, uh, you know, from Southeast Asia or, or wherever it may be coming from. Um, so I think that'll be interesting to see as we expect a huge adoption in that to sort of relieve some of that lead time uh, within within the product development process. Uh, additionally, uh, I think I'd say another big uh, recommendation that we've been giving to retailers is really getting smart on your raw material commitments. Right, that's oftentimes the longest lever uh, or the longest lead time in being able to react quickly to. Uh, consumer demand, whether that be chasing into fashion trends or replenishing uh, core items, is is that raw material development time. And so being really strategic about those commitments that you're making, right? Don't hold back on making those commitments because you're going to need to have product on hand and be able to chase into that. Um, but being strategic about which raw materials uh, you take positions in, uh, with the building the agile and the flexibility to uh, either design into it for future seasons, if you know demand isn't resurging as, as, as we we would hope in in the beginning of 21. Um, so all of these combined, right, ultimately will have huge impacts on the way that retailers are working um, across their supply chain. I think so, uh, Hannah. You mentioned quite a few uh, salient points there, <laughs> and very relevant and very actionable. So. And the two or three things uh, were really resonating uh, with me and I'm sure with uh, our retail community as well. I think one uh, you mentioned uh, early on is the, uh, you know, the inventory on hand, what is the execution plan for that? And this, you, know, you laid out two or three different scenarios, you know, do that through online now, flash sales throughout uh, the season or do one wholesale uh, exit or hold it back strategically for back half of the year Black Friday or Cyber Monday, uh, the, you know, all of those things, what we see and hear is that also has different unit economics impact, right? So selling through retail channel right now is a different unit economic cost to it versus you're selling each is online, uh, which is very different, right? So, and if you're doing an, in a wholesale exit, yeah, it might be painful, but then you're not bleeding throughout your cycle. Then you're exactly. focusing to your point, you're a little bit more nimbler and focusing on your new and up and coming, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the customer experience that they will be looking for. I think that's, so there is that cost impact uh, as you look at the execution side of it. Um, let me pause there and, 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 you know, hear your feedback or Brian or Kelsey's on that specific piece, you know, especially on inventory on hand, what are, you know, smarter ways that retailers should think about as they formulate their execution plans. Well, I mean, just to give two, two uh, added thoughts here and then Hannah and Kelsey should lay on. I, I think number one is just, this is obviously a category by category uh, phenomenon mm -hmm. across the board. So, I mean, I think Hannah was giving us very much a, a view from the apparel, fashion, discretionary view. And remember on the other side of the retail landscape, we have, there's no such thing as excess inventory. It's quite the opposite, um, whether it's non-discretionary grocery, however we're describing it. And so the, the stock up behavior we've been observing 
and how to actually uh, manage capacity throughput, labor. That's a whole nother set of questions when your stores are open and you're just trying to meet demand. So I think that the other tricky part here as we talk about retail is it's a really, it's a tale of two very different cities. And of course there's, there's gray areas in between. So that was just point one. I think point two to your very specific question about how to manage inventory on hand and how to think about that. We, we've seen to, to Hannah's point on Agile, there's almost no better moment in time to change your operating model than now. And so this idea that we're seeing strong, courageous leaders taking this chance to say, okay, guys, we are on Zoom. And geez, we're not in, a, in a, an environment where we can predict next week's demand curve. But what we differently and using this as a chance to set up inventory war room settings where we have cross-functional members meeting every morning, 9 to 9.15 a.m. to do stand-ups huddles, to really plan out the next week or two, to actually not worry about the calendar getting in the way of making decisions. And, and that's been, I guess, if there's a silver lining in the environment we're in, that's been a really nice thing to see. And so I think it, uh, the answer to your question isn't so much about what they're doing, but how they're doing it. I think the house story is a powerful one. And maybe, Kelsey or Hannah, you can elaborate on some of the what's we've been seeing as well. I think maybe just one thought to add on is not only has the agile operating model never been more important, but the granularity of decision-making and thinking through where we see demand. So, you know, even, you know, Brian described a, the spectrum of from least from less to more discretionary, right? Where you're seeing, you're going to have very different patterns in grocery and household than you will in apparel footwear right now, but even within apparel and footwear where it's very discretionary, right? Um, the pockets of an individual brand or retailer's inventory in hand, is, I mean, it's a, it's a diverse collection usually, right? And so how do you actually disaggregate that, match it up to demand and think about where are the demand signals for what's actually selling? Where are their green shoots? How do I stay kind of stay steady on some of that? And then how do I disaggregate the rest and actually think strategically about the decisions, right? It's not a blunt instrument, right? Never has it been more important to take some nuanced decisions on actually thinking through a couple of different options that handle it out for us. Right. I think uh, what you know, the best way, I, I, my takeaway is that uh, it's not just the execution, but Brian and Kelsey, as you mentioned, three things, you know, uh, process design, just go back and reevaluate that. Org design in terms of decision making, you know, this is the ripe opportunity for figuring out org design. And then the data points that need to be reevaluated. So you're not waiting for those long lag um, signals, whether it is you know, from prototyping part, part of it or from the decision-making part of it. I mean, these are the meaty subjects that, uh, that always not been on the forefront, but this is the right opportunity for, you know, making decisions on these three areas. And I know uh, you all have a lot of expertise and, and passion in these areas. So I think something to call out uh, for our retail uh, community to think about and make some decisions around these two, three topics. Yeah, just the one thing I would add to that, uh, because I think that that's a great summarization on on the top three topics there is um, also encouraging retailers right to uh, to partner with their strategic vendors right whether that be the production centers their supply chain logistics right I think that creating this notion of right they're all in it together. Um, and being agile in the way that you are creating solutions and not necessarily doing it in a vacuum only internally, right? Being smart about how you're looking at your matrix of, of suppliers, right? And choosing your core critical ones, I think, to help solution with you, right? Because And create that partnership for a long haul. 
uh, solution, I think will create a better outcome in the end as well. No, I mean, that, that makes sense. So I think I have two other topics we should cover. One is, you know, as a retail is getting disrupted, you know, it also gives the opportunities, especially in the, in the retail side of it, for brands to go direct. So wholesale brands are going direct. And Kelsey, to your point, where retailers are, or consumers are open to switching brands or, or interacting with new brands. And, you know, historically, some brands may have gone through wholesalers, but now, I mean, this is an opportunity of going direct as well and making them available. And the second is that what kind of experiences consumers are expecting, especially interacting with brands in a digital or in an in-store environment going forward, whether it is, you know, from shipping and delivery returns or any kind of virtual makeups. Like there are other ways that, you know, uh, they will be shake out in terms of how consumers will interact with brands directly or go through department stores or curated uh, platforms. So it will be good to see, you know, how, uh, what you're seeing in, in those two areas as well. Yeah, and maybe before we, we give it in specific examples of that, I just maybe one broad statement to highlight that I think is important for our retail community here. The number one regret we're hearing from our clients and retail clients in, in Asia is that when they were sort of where the US and where much of the Eurozone is right now on the curve, they put 150% of their mind share on solving the here and now, the minute by minute crisis fighting, which makes all the sense in the world and is appropriate given the severity. But their regret is that they didn't carve out a section of the team, the top team, to think about what the other side of the curve might look like and actually how to shape not only the recovery, but the next normal if you want to call it that. And so I think there's at least a, a calling there to be able to say, yes, for sure, we need all hands on deck to manage the here and the now. But if there's a way to sever off some capacity to be thinking about when that other moment returns, when that demand signal does pop up, because it will, we will get to the other side of this. What is the post-COVID approach across the value chain? And to your question around consumers, it, it's likely not going to ever be the same it was before. And so what things will stick how do we resonate in a world where the consumer is literally, we're in a generation shaping moment. How do we shape that with you? I think that's the key thing to be thinking about now, even as we're going up the curve in many countries. But maybe with that. I think so, Brian, I think on that, I think it's, it's worth double clicking on that. You know, what one or two pointers or guidelines would you give that? Is it just forcing yourself to carve out 10% of your time or 10 or few percentage of your team to just, come up with a plan or, or at least start thinking in that? Like what are the specific guidelines would you give uh, on that topic? Yeah, I, I can start, but I definitely don't want to skip your other question because it was as equally good. Um, and, and Kelsey and Hannah have seen a lot of this too, but I, just looking at some of our clients in, in the Asia Pacific region, I think the three, three, two or three things we're hearing. Yeah. Number one is for sure. Uh, let's find the group of, of, executives who can spend real time thinking about the post-crisis environment and actually helping to plan and prepare for that recovery time whenever it happens. It's going to happen and we should be aware of it. And by the way, a lot of that's knowable. There, if you're in the apparel business, there is going to be the first day we all get to go back to work, the first time we get to go out into a live event, the first time we get to go to a, on a date. Those are moments, those are new hallmark moments that we know are going to happen and we can prepare for that as an example. So that's point one is preparing for the recovery. Point two is having in place perhaps even new or more granular demand signals so you can catch when, that's, when that 
likely demand is starting to come back, ideally before it's too late, right? And being with your consumer in their mindset. And by the way, as we, as we look in China and some of South Korea, it's very interesting to see some of the categories that bounce back right away. There was a latent demand through the shelter mandates, right? You can imagine where a lot of us are probably feeling it right now. As soon as we get the chance to go out and have fun again, we may actually go out and want to wear clothes that we didn't own before or buy makeup we didn't have before. So there is going to be a late demand here and having that demand signal in place is key. So that's the second very specific tactical thing of having your demand signals in place. And then I do think there's a third thing that is trickier and we're only seeing a couple clients really be able to have the luxury to think this far ahead, but to really think about this next normal. Yes, we're seeing sticking behavior in online. So of course there's going to be an online. I think this idea of heartfelt purpose-led branding is going to be a big deal. Consumers are going to remember how brands responded in this moment. It's not going to be a passing time. It's going to stick with them. So how do you take the elements of your brand and really form a value proposition given the, the situation we're in? These are the kinds of things that, that that third horizon, if you want to call it that, we're finding some of the most forward-thinking brands do right now. So that, that's awesome. I mean, that's very relevant. Um, how should they be... Uh, having that framework to start thinking and planning uh, post-crisis. Uh, I do think, though, I mean, I didn't mean to skip over your other question about in the sort of near, near term, how do CMOs, how do brands maybe respond to where consumers are at and some of the ideas of w- what we're seeing around the world. I know Kelsey's been very close to many CMOs who have thought through this. So, Kelsey, I, I don't know if you want to share some thoughts on that one, too. Yeah, I think in the moment, um, there's a few things really top of mind for uh, the CMOs, right? One is the idea of, you know, Brian just talked about purposeful brands and what does it mean? What's your value prop coming out? But I think that's even relevant now, right? So I think first and foremost is, you know, what is the way you think about communicating with your customers so that you're on tone and that you come from an authentic place? So that is actually very paramount on every single CMO's mind right now. And rightfully so, right? It's how we started this conversation today. We're in the middle of a humanitarian crisis, right? That's the context. Uh, I'd say second to that, there's big shifts in dollars, right? Um, there, uh, you know, there's quite, a, again, it somewhat depends on where you are in terms of that demand curve that we talked about a little while ago, but there, there are meaningful decreases in budgets and there are meaningful shifts in budgets to try to figure out, hey, the media plan and the marketing plan I had two months ago no longer applies. That is no longer how I'm going to both generate demand and capture it, and I need to test into a new playbook. And so I, what the leading companies we're seeing do is not just cut some spend to chop some, you know, branches off the tree because everyone's tightening the belts a little bit, but actually figuring out how do I kind of rebuild my media plan right now and test into what's working in this new normal, right? So I'd say that's, that's really the second area. And then third is, we, we've talked about it a few times, they're doing that in the context of you have to be so close to the demand signals right now. So literally the granular types of decisions of I'm going to increase my type, my budget in search, but I'm actually going to do it very differentially at a subcategory and even product level, because again, all of the kind of automated operations of how, especially in digital, this stuff has been running is no, is is no longer in tune, right? It's in a completely different world. And so really digging deep uh, in the third one, and we've talked about that a few times is not only important now, but in the future too. No, I think, uh, going back to the question also in the horizons Brian painted on what's next, I, we, we did have, you know, a really great conversation with some of our uh, leaders in Asia uh, earlier this week. And, you know, they, they, they pointed to a couple things that, you know, should be very top of mind. 
what is the game plan for when stores reopen? Right. So, so stores are going to open again to Brian's point. We're going to have these great moments, right. And, and these, these reasons to return to maybe not full normalcy, but parts of it. Um, and so what is the game plan for how they return and what will the consumers experience ex expectations be? And they're going to be different, right? So a real focus on, you know, cleanliness and service and, you know, some things that might be very kind of top of mind for retailers normally, but it's just a different experience in different customer context that you have to be ready for when you're opening your stores again. Yeah, I mean, uh, to your point, um, you know, starting, uh, starting with the, um, you know, having that empathy with the consumer and then executing all the way to, you know, messaging and cleanliness in stores and making sure that welcoming moment uh, is, is reflected on who you are as a brand and thinking it through to that reopening moment uh, is, is really important. It is. And, and I mean, I think, you know, it's not like when the, the day the doors are open, I, 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 I could be wrong, but I wouldn't predict the consumers just flood back in. <laughs> That's at, right. you know, yeah. I, I think it's almost as if, and, and by the way, in the U.S. in particular, it's probably not all stores that do open, right? Yeah, I, I right. think we're going to have a rebasing yeah. of what the store fleets look like. So you almost need to think about it as, grand openings, if you will, or how do you use those marketing dollars to really be localized to stores that when they do open their doors, there's a reminder of, hey, we are here. And this is our new model, given the world we just walked through together as, as yep. a community. Um, and this concept of community connectivity. And then I do think and Hannah can share more is what's the future of fulfillment really look like in a world where contactless is now something everybody's opting in for? Right in a world where maybe ninety percent of every all my decisions will be made online, and fulfillment is in the stores end up being more a fulfillment base and perhaps a um, an advisory base for you know what to buy. It, that's the kind of things this, these kind of teams need to think through to be ahead of it. I don't know, Hannah, what you'd add to that on the fulfillment side. Yeah, I mean, I think you know there's been a constant conversations around speed, right? That's always been a, a big portion of how retailers are, are thinking about their, their supply chain. But I think ultimately being able to react to what consumer demands are is going to be critical. And then ultimately, right, how are they going to actually acquire that product, right? There's a lot of notions around uh, doing, you know, drop ships directly to, uh, to, to consumers, even from, from the vendors, right, versus even going through a DC, right, in terms of try, really trying to cut down the time in which expectations I think consumers are, are, are feeling the lag right now, given all of the complexities in, in the shipping and the demand that there is there online is that they're gonna want immediacy, uh, especially as things start to reopen. Consumers really like to touch and feel the products, right? That's why they still continue to go into the store to this day, right? So how can you engage with them in different ways and give them more of an endless aisle in person uh, to really step change the way that that they're shopping uh, and, and have lacked for, for such a long time. Um, but then ultimately thinking through, right, what is the right way to still continue to engage them um, from, a, from a shopping standpoint uh, in a safe and, and secure way, given the new sentiment? No, I mean, these are all uh, tremendously helpful and, and, and really uh, critical points where uh, these would make or break companies uh, and 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 uh, and I'll create opportunities for brands and retailers uh, in in years to come. Um, I think uh, I mean this is uh, really been very helpful to me and and hopefully to our retail community. And I I know Brian, you mentioned that uh, 
and the McKinsey team is, uh, you know, working really hard to capture all these sentiments and putting up um, on uh, on your website, which uh, retailers can take a look and learn more and 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 see how that could be relevant for them. So probably we'll share with the group um, and the areas for uh, various um, topics that they can go and research and and reach out to your team uh, whenever it's relevant or, or applicable. Yeah, that, that's right, Amit. We're, we're, as everybody is at this point in time, trying to be as helpful as possible so that we all get through this. And we're doing that through what McKinsey does best, right? Data and analytics, insights, and trying to provide the retail community as much information as humanly possible. Great, I mean, you're the best. Uh, thank you so much, Kelsey, Hannah, and Brian for taking the time and, and sharing your perspective with, uh, with us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks, Amit. Thank you.